Today's episode of The Ringer NBA Show is brought to you by Miller Lite. When game day comes around, there's only one thing on your mind, winning. Miller Lite is the beer that's brewed to have more taste with only 96 calories and 3.2 grams of carbs, so you never have to compromise on game day. It's a win-win that means game day will never be the same. Miller Lite, hold true. Basketball is very good. Seth Curry is the best Curry. The Sixers should trade for Landry Shamit. The playoffs are better without LeBron. Basketball is very good. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. It's group chat. Yeah. Just a duo. It's me and Justin back again on another Thursday night in Los Angeles. Hey, friends, let's talk basketball. The Sixers just won 112 to 101, and Justin and I are taking our lives in our own hands in a lot of ways by podcasting during this Denver-Portland game. We'll be giving you 10-10 win-style updates on the hour, every hour right. of the score in that game. Obviously, when you're listening to this, the, the result will be in. We just wanted to talk a little bit about the Sixers-Raptors series. Yeah, We wanted to talk a little bit about the end of the Boston Celtics season. I'm sure you're really broken up by that. It's pretty tough for, for me and my family. I also <laughs> want to talk a little bit about Durant and the Achilles that wasn't. Mm-hmm. And a little bit about this Lakers clown show. So we have plenty of stuff to talk about besides two small market teams, Denver and Whoa. Portland. No, I'm just kidding. We just it's all it's all about the experience. You yeah. want to hear us react in real time to when Nikola Jokic puts up the 20th point of the game. It's 16-7. Well, okay. we'll get there eventually. Uh let's get into this Raptors Sixers thing. Last week I came on and I was like, everybody's crowning the Sixers. Not me. But other people are crowding them. <laughs> right. Definitely not you. Uh, I was promptly uh, hoisted out by my own petard because the Sixers went on to lose game uh, four mm-hmm. at in Philly during a weird day game where everybody seemed to have not woken up. A lot of people binge eating Scrapple. Yes. After, and then they got throttled in, in Toronto to go down 3-2 and then tied it up today in Philly 3-3. This was somewhat predictable. I feel like these semifinal series is, are now rolling into that home, home, home. Yeah, imagine Stretch. that. Teams going back and forth. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, it wasn't like that in the first round, obviously. But this is a really, really, really even series. Um, and essentially just, I, I feel like the the Raptors have been really consistent. You know what I mean? Uh, it's the Sixers where it's just like, you're not sure who's going to show up. Yeah. And to your point, I thought this was the Ben Simmons game. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had an article on The Ringer this morning from Jonathan Charks, basically saying that Ben Simmons is not a point guard. He's a center. Mm-hmm. And while he played effectively next to Embiid, who can get to, I, I thought I saw a lot of what Sharks was kind of pointing toward of how he needed to play in order to get engaged. He was running in transition. He was, even though he was playing with mostly big men mm-hmm. out on the floor next to him, he was pushing the tempo. But he was also super active off of cuts, off of a couple every, putbacks, couple putbacks. He was set, like he caught a lob, I believe, from Jimmy Butler. Yeah. So you're seeing a lot of the things that we've always kind of wanted to see from Ben, he was playing like he wasn't the number one pick. Like he wasn't this chosen superstar to be. He was playing like a Mike Scott. Yeah. And when you have that much talent in that body and you're just getting a lot of points off of activity, that like that's the best you could hope yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, Ben Simmons can be an, a, a threat from, you know, 90 feet away. He can just start to accelerate and he can move in transition. And, and he also is a devastating passer. So in transition, he he has like the world in his hands when he's when he's really got a head of steam going. I personally like I just think he is 
a one-in-a-kind player. So I, I have a natural affection to him. I love great passers. I love guys who find those angles that aren't there for 99% of the people who play basketball. And Ben just sees passes in a way that only like five or six guys in the league really do. But, you know, it's he's it, he is a real question mark when it comes to whether or not he works in these more half-court, slowed-down tactical games. And that's unfortunately the... We'll get an answer to our question in Game 7, I think. Right. Because I don't think Nick Nurse is going to get into a track meet in Toronto with, yeah. with Philly in Game 7. I think it's going to be a grinded-out game with a lot of Kawhi midway or late into the shot clock just picking these guys apart. apart. And that's where Simmons tends to struggle. He's done like an admirable job on Kawhi, although Kawhi is cementing himself as like a top-three player again. He's making him work for it. Yeah, but he's making him work... That was interesting that Nurse kept quiet out there for 40 minutes. It's a 112-101 is not indicative of how far apart this was for most of a very bad fourth quarter. But Nurse played quiet, I think for almost the entire third, mm-hmm. had him out there. I guess he's just not concerned with, I mean, this is why you just sit the guy on back-to-backs is to have him available for this this time of year, I suppose. Right, and I, I think you were the one that mentioned as we were watching the game, maybe they were just trying to force the Sixers to play their, their guys. It seemed like it, because Embiid, the, other ga- you know, the gaudiest stat, if you look at the box score, is Embiid plus 40. Which is really interesting because he only had 17 points. Yeah. He wasn't particularly effective as an offensive player. And I think that's the trade-off when you want engaged Ben is you probably don't get a lot of Embiid because, I mean, as we we were just talking about, like they effectively play in the same space. Mm-hmm. They are, if you really want to feed into what Sharks is saying, I think they are kind of center types. Uh, they're both going to play around the basket. And so you could definitely see Embiid like fall back as Ben was asserting himself. Yeah. Um, and... But I think you saw Embiid way more engaged as a defender. He was, He's still going to be that. And you saw him deterring shots from the rim. Uh, you saw him just like swat away Pascal Siakam at yeah. one point. Yeah. Uh, it's just... Embiid got, got a Kawhi block that was pretty devastating. It was a really good one. I, but, thought, I thought it was encouraging. But at the same time, if we're forecasting to game seven, I do wonder... Uh, if that's the trade-off you're working with. You can only get one or the other because of how uh, much they butt on the court. So the Sixers came out and really got out of the blocks fast. And one of the things that's really interesting about watching these Sixers games is that um, the starting five tend to be spectators for one another. It's it's not like... I mean, we made we made some comments about the starting five in comparison to the Warriors' optimal starting five. It's not like that Warriors team... I, I don't feel like there's as much sharing of the ball. There's not a at any given point on a trip down the floor, anyone can score feeling. It's more like, it feels a little bit more hot hand. It feels a little bit more like, it seems like Jimmy has it going, let's go to Jimmy. It seems like Jimmy has it going, let's go to Jimmy. Tobias has the mismatch, let's go to him a couple of times. And then it's like, let's get it to Embiid to make sure he's still engaged in the game. Um, It was a pretty quiet first quarter for Embiid offensively. And Butler really carried them in that first half, I thought. And it, it was kind of an interesting backdrop was that, Showed up in a minivan. I think Butler has been completely embraced by Sixers fans over the last week or two. Um, his style of play, which if you watch regular season games was hit or miss, has really like blossomed in the playoffs. And of course, game six, we find out right before the game, at least according to Rajon Rondo and a couple other people on NBA Countdown, that this could be Butler's last game at Wells Fargo as a Sixer. Did you take anything from that? That little tidbit of information? Do you think that's a fait accompli that he leaves? I guess it depends on how much stock you put into Rondo being the new Woj. Yeah, so there was already like deep state <laughs> Rondo is working on behalf of LeBron to destabilize the Sixers. Right. I also saw something out there that 
Rondo said if they don't have a coach by the time free agency hits, he's not going to stick around. <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think Brett's coaching next year. Like, I, the, the, there's some hot seat stuff about him last year. Uh, I don't know. Getting to game seven of this series with a team that he's only had really for a quarter of the season, I suppose I'd say you can't hold that against him. Mm-hmm. But it looks like people will hold anything against anyone. I, I, don't, I, I still always go back to sh- show me the candidate who should step in and take over. Show me the guy who's like in waiting. Right. Because you might fall into a situation like the Lakers mm-hmm. where you get rid of a perfectly adequate coach in Luke Walton who maybe just didn't have uh, the the support of a locker room and all of a sudden you're left looking at Lionel Hollins and some of these other guys that yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. Around. But no, I, I think it's interesting. Uh, with Jimmy in particular, Brett Brown had that quote, I think, earlier. He's the only this adult in the room. <laughs> the only yeah. adult in the room. Yeah. And it's just so ironic for all of us outside of that situation given everything we know about Jimmy and especially going into this season where he pretty much like blew up the Minnesota Timberwolves before that season. Yeah, he was acting extremely 15 years old for most of the season. (laughs) Right. Uh, And definitely in this series, he has been the most reliable guy. And I just don't know how to reconcile that because on the one hand, I know that his play is effective and it's particularly effective in the postseason. Uh, But (laughs) there are certain times where it's just him iso balling and, and kind of making things work. I guess the flip side of that is that that's what Kawhi is doing, mm-hmm. and this is what postseason basketball is. Let's talk about Toronto a little bit because I feel like we talked a ton about the Sixers last week on group chat, and I do I do want to like analyze this this Raptors team a little bit. You know, Leonard's probably up until the calf strain. I, I thought the second best NBA like player in the NBA during these playoffs, mm-hmm. next to Durant. I guess mm-hmm. Giannis has a claim to that, but I would say I would say Leonard. Durant, Giannis, Jokic. Who else would you Harden? Who else Harden. would you put in there? I mean, considering Yo- what Kawhi has around him, yeah. he probably was the best. So this was a fascinating example of what Justin and I were talking about last week, which is essentially this trade that wasn't just a trade of players, but it was a trade almost in um, team philosophy that the Raptors made uh, in the middle of the season when they traded for Gasol because you saw Nick Nurse essentially playing a seven-man rotation and even in the most dire straits of the game, sticking with his starters throughout that third quarter. Um, they they still are like, I feel like their heartbeat, their EKG is just way more steady than the Sixers. But uh, do you think that Toronto should be feeling really confident going into Game 7 on Sunday? I mean, on the one hand, you still have the best player in the series. You're, sur- you're surrounded by fanatics because you've got Chow as a Toronto Late coming Toronto fan, and I'm a Sixers fan, so you hear it from both sides. Yeah, but now these days, Danny believes more in his bacon guy in Milwaukee than That's he does right. anyone around here. <laughs> Danny just is a fan of whoever has off market meats to sell him. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I know a guy in Philly, Danny, by the way, if you want to go. I feel like we know who these teams are against each other at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Raptors are Kawhi, how, how much he could do. And then if Siakam steps up and some of these other guys around them, I think they had success. Uh, not this game, but the, in the games past, going a little bit bigger and matching size with the Sixers. I, but I do feel like this Ben performance is kind of the trump card to that trump card. Yeah. Just how do you stop it when he no longer is playing like a big man? He's playing more like the 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 hybrid LeBron light type that we all kind of fell in love with to begin with. Right. I do wonder if maybe the the next counter is to go even smaller if you're the Raptors. But then on the other hand, like... So what does their small, small lineup look like then? Well, that's the problem because you're getting into the bench and the bench throughout these playoffs has been almost unplayable. But that is because you're trying to match size with size. Mm -hmm. 
So I, I think it's going to be really interesting the next kind of turn here because do you play a guy like Fred Van Vliet who's struggled this entire postseason, Norm Powell, who I don't particularly like, but he did get a good run here toward the end of the game. Uh, there are things that they could do because the Raptors have built this interesting bench where they have kind of mix and match parts, but they haven't been willing to go this for is, it because it's just been This is the OG mono. spot. Yes. It's the OG spot that he would have he would have he would have been the small ball five if he wanted to experiment about it a little bit, right? Yeah, I think this would have been a shorter series yeah. if that was the case, but he hasn't played this entire postseason that's really thrown off what they've been wanting to do. On the other hand, they have made do. It's just Kyle Lowry is your third best guy, oftentimes your third offensive player, and you're not getting much from him. Marcus Saul, we've been saying this entire postseason. I mean, he's basically out there as a defensive specialist to counter Embiid. Yeah. And maybe he did that on the offensive end tonight, but you could see how they're just not really respecting him at all on the offensive end. He was 0 for 5 at a crucial point of this game, over 3 from 3, and then he ended up 3 for 8, which is fine. But like, that's the guy they brought in there not to be, I don't know, name your defensive specialist, not to be a Kavan Looney. Yeah, right. He was there to provide two-way value, and as good as he is as a cerebral passer, there are only so many of those guys you could have before you need Kawhi to go score for Pascal to go score. Yes, I think... uh, I'm leaning Sixers W on Sunday. Um, wow. Mostly. That's, that's really big of you. No, mostly because it's a, the game is going to be at 7 Eastern. And <laughs> I think that one of the things that has <laughs> been like really difficult for the Sixers to handle for some reason, especially Embiid, is the early daytime start times. So honestly, if this game had been at 1230 or 3.30, I might be leaning Toronto. I think these teams are pretty even. I think that I would like to see, a, if not a breakout Reddit game, at least... A better better night than what he had tonight, which was eleven points, three for ten from three, and not and no free throws, which shows me that he's just he's not making up for like a bad shooting night with any kind of aggression. Now that's not always JJ's bread and butter is to getting getting to the hoop, but I saw him pulling out of a couple of like, oh, there's there's a baka, so I'm just gonna turn around and drive dribble the other way. And it's like if you can get a baka to hack you, it's two points anyway because of he's so money from the line. So I'd love to see a little bit more from Reddick as a Sixers guy. The problem is, is that I think that Gasol and Lowry tend to perform better at home, and and so like I, th- I think it's going to be a pretty close game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout the way the last couple of. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go Sixers just because I can't really conceive of life without them. You're not afraid of Joel Embiid having to go through customs because there's a lot of germs going through airports these time of year. I mean, it's it's a. Uh, it's been it's been a roller coaster with Embiid. Have we I give we talked about this? I guess we haven't talked about it since last week because last week we saw him and he was God, mm-hmm. and then he got felled by multiple uh, household illnesses. Um, <laughs> I, for, look, you, you I, forgot th- to take the what is that stuff to prevent illnesses? Emergency, yeah, or like zinc, yeah, stuff like that. Uh, that seems like something he could get a sponsorship for. Yeah, you know, um, they have live sports too. I would say that. The Sixers don't do themselves any favors with this. And this is just the problem with what's happened to them over the course of the year, which obviously like the ringer has been a part of, <laughs> is that they don't get the benefit of the doubt anymore. They don't. So right. you got to, if, if Embiid is not sleeping and texting his coach at six in the morning and saying, I might not play, if he's got gastric distress or a fever or a cold or whatever is wrong with him, like the explanations just don't seem to add up very well. So they're kind of like the Game of Thrones writers. That's right. That's, <laughs> That's right. where we're at with them. That's right. Twenty six eighteen in this Denver Portland clash. Just to keep you guys up to date. Wow. Ending the first quarter soon. What do you think is going to happen? Uh, I think Portland will come back. Whoa. 
Fingers crossed, because Bobby will get mad at us if we miss the close out. <laughs> um, why don't we move on to some of yesterday's action, some of the, th- the Wednesday action, because even though those things are kind of old news, by the time you guys hear this probably Friday morning, they will have lasting effects on the league. Um, obviously, Kyrie and Kevin Durant tied together to some extent. There's a lot of speculation that these two will choose to play together at their next team were they to leave the Golden State Warriors or the Boston Celtics. There's even some some fever dreams about Kevin joining the Celtics. There's been some talk about Kevin joining the Celtics and Kyrie still leaving the Celtics. Both of them going to Brooklyn, both of them going to the Knicks, whatever. Um, let's start with Boston. Okay. How much of a how much of a job is on hand here? How much how much do you think is like there's this there's this thing in the Bourne legacy? Did you ever see that? <laughs> like one or two. But it's basically like Edward Norton, who's like plays like this NSA guy uh-huh. or something. Uh, he's he's like talking about how like one of the assassin programs they have has gone wrong. Yeah, and he goes like, "We're just trying to find out how much we need, how much of like the patient we need to operate on to save the patient. Like we need to find out how much we need to cut out to save the patient. Mm-hmm. How much do they need to cut out to save the patient here? If Andy Greenwald was here, would this go over much smoother? <laughs> he would remember the actual line. I'm also referring to the least popular Bourne movie, so it's right. not exactly singing. But uh-huh. my point is, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about a, a complete rebuild? Are we talking about no Rogier, no Smart, no one of Brown or Tatum, no Kyrie. Like, what? what's the deal? I mean, if you ask Terry Rozier, he's definitely gone. Yes. He definitely had some incendiary comments. After Morris that. was more or less like, I love Boston, but I'm more like, th- I just hope wherever I go treats me with the same respect Boston did. He also was like, I think we were the better team. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like on brand for the Morris twins. Sure. No, I mean, I feel like there's... The, the inflection point of the franchise is almost independent of Kyrie. He's mm-hmm. either going to stay or he's going to go. It seems like he's going to go. And it seems like the, the closer we get to I don't July think that 1st, he will be necessarily even welcome back. I mean, I think that they might make a cursory exploratory offer or yeah. entreaty to him. But I, by, by all accounts, it's just it's hard to imagine them being like, bring Kyrie back. Let's it, run this back. If it means getting Anthony Davis because he and, and Davis are so close... I would welcome him back with open arms just because I think Davis and him together are just that's a potential devastating one-two combo. I think you're immediately, if Durant leaves the Warriors, probably the title favorites at that point. You think Kyrie? Kyrie and Davis, Davis and, and then Hayward. the leftover Celtics. Okay. I, Kyrie and Davis is incredible because you're you're assuming that Horford probably stays too because that's another thing we talk about, but he has a player option in he, addition to And he to did not Kyrie say Irving. see you next year. Right. I, with him, it's an interesting discussion just quickly. It's just because he's going to be, I believe, 33. Mm-hmm. And he could theoretically go on the open market, maybe take a J.J. Redick style of contract and go for... That feels like a warrior. One, two big, one or two years uh, at, at a big lump sum. He can get more years as opposed to this one-year contract with the Celtics. Or he could just stay and be probably the best front court partner Anthony Davis has ever had. Sure. I think, but so if Davis, Horford, Kyrie is your core, that's incredible. Yeah. So and Hayward, and Hayward, which you, who you presume it can't get worse for. Yeah. So I think it, regardless of what Kyrie does, I think the question is, what do you see in Tatum? Right. Is he going to be the face of the franchise, or are you not as high on him? Are you willing to part with him for Anthony Davis? Because I do think if the Davis Derby becomes an arm race, like we expect it will, Tatum is the is the 
the best chip. Tatum is probably still the best player, especially considering uh, all the unknowns we have with Brandon Ingram at this point. Mm-hmm. His blood clot also, nobody knows who to, who's picking up the phone in the Lakers, which we will <laughs> talk about in a few minutes. Right. I, I, Rob is probably picking up the phone, which the Lakers would probably prefer not. Right. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about Durant then. Okay. Uh, we could just briefly discuss like that was that was one of the wildest ten minutes of, of, of I think Ringer NBA Slack history <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just the absolute like what will Durant's legacy be if he never plays again to you know oh Cavs training is gonna be okay <laughs> uh, it definitely was a scary moment it brought about an immediately more feisty Warriors team I think obviously like there was a feeling like oh if they like they just lo- lost their like number one offensive option. And I wouldn't say they necessarily blew the doors off of the Rockets. I thought they really, really played a defensively committed game mm-hmm. in those last ten minutes. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't. I think the Rockets. If the Rockets wanted to win that series, they needed to have won it on Wednesday night. They needed to have taken that game. Yeah, I'm not so sure. I, I'm oddly encouraged about the Rockets, but I was also pretty encouraged coming out of their 0-2 hole when they left Golden State the first time, just because I thought yeah, there I guess was just we, it, so much fluke stuff that happened. Now, I guess the counter would be that like they had every opportunity to win that game. Harden was perfectly fine. Uh, all the the good and bad of what they're, you're going to get from them was going to be there. I just think going forward without Durant for the rest of the series, that the type of players they're going to have to play in order to soak up some of those minutes are the exact players that the Rockets want on the floor because they're going to expose them. Mm -hmm. The Rockets, like their their biggest issue is they perhaps don't have the offensive talent. So when those few minutes off, when Harden's off the floor, that they just can't keep up in a track meet. And now Chris Paul, all of a sudden, yeah, maybe he isn't doing as well carving up some of the bigs that he's had to go up against on switches so far. But now if it's like Andrew Bogut yeah. as opposed to Kevon Looney, that's like a, the the slightest bit of edge that you need in order to take advantage there. And I don't know. I just think overall, I think they might be comparable in terms of talent, if not perhaps one through five at the end of the game, probably better. Mm-hmm. If you're in the tuck wagon lineup, perhaps. Yeah. I, I don't know how. Depending on which version of Clint Capella shows up. Because look at... We were talking about Clint Capella last week mm-hmm. and saying how, well, he got played off the floor whenever Durant wanted to be the best center on the floor, he could be that. Mm-hmm. Now, who's that guy? Right. Like, right. who are they playing at the end there? Because it, they'll probably have to go with Livingston if they want to go into some sort of death lineup. Right. Like and then that also requires Draymond to stay on the floor. Draymond, is the, yeah. And he obviously followed out last game. Yeah. And it was like a minute 30 left, but I think there was a couple of instances before that where I was like, that's really on the edge. Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't like he was playing with it like a hand tie behind his back. He was going after it. I think I feel like that Rockets game just for, for me it was like a guy who like is on like at a blackjack table and finds $100 under his chair and then like blows it. You know what I mean? It's just it's it's like you get this gift and they almost seemed like unaware of what to do with their hands until it was too late and that you know, I thought Harden played obviously really well, but there was just like a weird as the Warriors immediately kind of fell into like everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing because we've been playing together for a really long time. The mm-hmm. Rockets didn't seem to know what to do without Duran on the floor almost. Yeah, and there's that quote I have someone threw out there today where I guess Windhorse said this that they, the Warriors kind of looked around after they found out that Durant was going to be there for the rest of the game and they smiled. Yeah, and it, like even Kerr going into the post game conference and invoking Liverpool and quoting <laughs> Jurgen Klopp. And it's like, you guys immediately 
rediscovered your identity as underdogs somehow, yeah. and which is laughable to everybody who's watched basketball over the last three years, four years. Although that's kind of who they started out as. Exactly. That's what I'm saying yeah. is that like they've had to deal with this like you're the bullies, you ruined basketball crap for a couple of years. Right. And now all of a sudden it's like Clay's hurt, Steph's having a subpar postseason. The, the knockaround guys. Riding Iguodala yeah. on fumes, but like now it's just like nobody believes in us somehow. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, yeah. but I do think, and I, I wonder how much that's going to factor in. Maybe they could just ride the adrenaline throughout this last game, and that will be enough. And then uh, the, the Nuggets, who are now up 34 to 26 going into the second. <laughs> it's getting tight. <laughs> Perhaps. Bobby, want... I, I can't believe you made us do this this early. <laughs> God, Bobby. I can't believe you're putting this on the airwaves. That is my choice. <laughs> we didn't think Bobby had a mic. It was on me. This one's on me, guys. That's big of you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real Steph Curry attitude. Uh, no, I think that's fine. I think like that could probably get you far. But you're looking at the bench now. And all of a sudden, Alfonso McKinney played five minutes last game. Mm -hmm. He's probably going to have to play 10. Quinn Cook, who didn't play a single minute, I think he had a few seconds there at the end there, he might have to play rotational right. minutes. Like Those are the times where a team like the Rockets, who's probably going to go seven or eight deep well, with guys that they could trust, are going to be able to play off the floor. I don't know what the uh, aggregate point total is to get a, a for and against here, mm -hmm. but it's not that high. These right. games have been pretty close. So... Those McKinney minutes, those Quinn Cook minutes could be the difference between winning and losing. I mean, it's not a sexy opinion, but this could come down to home court advantage. And, yeah. and as you saw in Houston, the Rockets played particularly better. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, okay, so you know what just occurred to me? We, I mean, we've only done a couple of group chats this playoffs, I guess, like three, four. Sure. I, and we're just talking about like these Game 7s and the possibility that we'd have several Game 7s on Sunday, at least one. Are we not giving the Bucks their due? Because they just completely dispatched Boston. Uh, they get to rest. They'll have home court advantage in the next round. Brogdon will be back. Brogdon will be back. Brogdon gets to rest a little bit more. They can they can dial up as much tape as the tape lord Mike Budenholzer wants to re watch on either of these Raptors or Sixers teams. Do you think he uses an iPad or like a projector system? You know, I think he's got like an old reel-to-reel, -reel, like <laughs> Thelma Schoonmacher. And he's just like going through a hard, like 35 millimeter film. Right, he's cutting it. He's literally cutting the yeah, tape. Yeah, cutting and taping together uh, reels. Uh, I, I, it, are we, is this one of those things where we're getting so con consumed by like narratives and what might happen in free agency that we're not seeing the best team in the league right in front of us? Well, that's a good question because going into the playoffs, this is something I was talking to everyone about. And I almost wrote something, but I didn't get around to writing it. I still might. <laughs> that's what podcasts are for. <laughs> if, I, if I have time, but I can give you the gist of it here. It's just, we didn't know that the Warriors were going to be what they are. And even before Kevin Durant, they clearly had something yeah. that broke the league, yeah. that the league had to adapt to. Uh, and it, it kind of came out of nowhere, which in the past has happened, but particularly in this era, a free agency, we kind of know who the teams are. Yeah, sure. We know who the the contenders are. We try to wrap ourselves up in certain narratives and, and certain other storylines that catch our eye toward in the course of the regular season, but we know the teams. The Bucks we thought would be okay, but we didn't think they were going to be this. Mm -hmm. And I think that pre-existing notion throughout the season, they haven't really kind of distanced themselves from. I remember even when they were on course for 60 wins, we were still wondering, well, they did this in the regular season. Yeah, people were still talking like teams? that, oh, this is the Hawks team from a couple of years ago, shit, but th that Hawks team didn't have Giannis. And that's the big difference. But, I mean, 
In addition to that, all their advanced numbers and all these other things suggest that this might be a sleeping giant. Mm-hmm. And so far, that hasn't been dispelled. I, I do wonder, does it come down to this being a moment for Giannis? I mean, it certainly feels that way. It's just, it's just interesting. I don't know whether it's a, a, an indictment on our ability to pay attention to a smaller market like that or whether or not it has something more to do with the fact that we're just more interested in like uh, team in crisis stuff where you can just like really focus on like the ups and downs of a seven game series rather than like, wow, Milwaukee's just dispatching mm-hmm. a team that was widely assumed to be a finals contender in yeah. Boston. Well, to be fair, we think that we know who the contenders are because they often are those teams. Yeah. Like the, the teams with the best talent, the teams with the big threes are almost always the best teams who will go on to win titles. Right. And if you look at the construction of the Bucks rosters, in addition to Giannis, who was clearly one of the best finds in recent draft history, they're all second-round guys. Yeah. Even Brogdon, who won a Rookie of the Year, was a second-round pick. Right. Chris Middleton was a second-round pick from another team that threw him into a trade for, I believe, Brandon Knight and uh, Brandon Jennings. Right. So these guys, they don't fit that traditional mold, but they have this transformative guys, and they just play so well around them which is why we slept on them, but I still think there is that shred of doubt that in a, in a series that really tests them on their top five sure. talent, I, mean, I do been, wonder if that... They beat a team that was essentially like, it hit a lottery to get there in the Pistons, and then a team that was tearing itself apart in Boston. Yep. But the thing that impressed me about that Boston series was, and we talked about this last Thursday, I think, this was literally a matter of making a slight adjustment to Giannis's spacing. Mm-hmm. And and it was over. It was just over. And yeah. it, it was one of those series victories where you just see like the might of another team is so overpowering, regardless of whatever was going on inside of the Celtics locker room or not. We were crowning them on the first game of the, this series when they won. You know what I mean? People were all excited about that. The the Bucks had to make like a couple of minor adjustments to floor spacing. And they destroyed the Celtics. Well, we talk about this all the time. A team that knows who they are kind of has the advantage. And especially in the postseason where we were just talking about the Sixers that we don't know game to game what we're getting from Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. Probably their most important player on the floor. If not, you know, he's not their best, but the way he plays can swing games as we just saw. But you're not going to get that from George Hill. George Hill isn't going to be out there saying, oh, I just, you know, I want to get this post up touch. You know? No, but I would say this. The Sixers have a lot of question marks going into next season in terms of who's going to be there and who's not going to be there. The Sixers have a lot of question marks right now in terms of what's the best style to fit the talent on this team and whether or not you can really satisfy all the talented players, especially in the starting five, in the same game. Or do they have to take steps back? The Bucks don't have that problem. The Bucks have like a really obvious hierarchy. They have a really obvious route tree of guys that you're looking for down every end of the floor and bud has installed the perfect system for the for that for that team and it essentially is like made parts of people's games that wasn't even that successful koc wrote about Giannis's increased three-point shooting attempts just because it's like it just changes the dynamics of the series and of a game if he's more threatening even if he's not going to make it you have to respect it, you, and it changes the way like the defense is laid out if he might pull the trigger behind the arc five more times a game, three more times a game. Yeah. So I just feel like, it, in a weird way, it's not checkmate by any w- means. I wouldn't be surprised if the Eastern Conference Finals, whether it's Philly or Milwaukee, goes deep. But 
I just realized while we were sitting here, I was like, man, we really haven't dapped up Milwaukee for pulling what is essentially a LeBron-Cleveland run so far in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Right. When we look back on the Warriors, we say, what were their kind of tactical advantages? What were their uh, the slight things that they did better that they were ahead on? Because oftentimes, this is the sort of thing that that dictates the fate of the league. The guys mm-hmm. who, who stumble upon or create these... Uh, these efficiencies that nobody else sees. Yeah, of course. Uh, and for the Warriors, it was obviously shooting and also switching on defense and putting those like-size players. And getting three miraculously good contracts going at the same time. Right. Uh, I thought you were going to say uh, getting a third. No, but they got... Hall of Famer. They, they, got, <laughs> they got Steph on a discount. Yeah. And they, they got Draymond on a discount, essentially. Yep. And that, that created the path to KD. And I do wonder if the Bucks just kind of pushed that even further... By pairing Giannis, their worst three-point shooter, with mm-hmm. a guy like Brook Lopez, so now effectively your center, you're playing with a stretch center, which nobody has that to that degree. Yeah, and now as we're seeing, they can go five out, where Giannis is a, a respectable three-point shooter. At the very least, teams are forcing him to shoot it, and he's definitely stepping into those shots with confidence. Which, yeah. as you mentioned, I think it has a trickle-down effect to the rest of the offense. Absolutely. Um, let's talk about a team that has not mastered any efficiencies. The Lakers. Sure. Um, this was something that Justin and I talked about last week, which was the amazing circumstances of Monty Williams choosing to be the Phoenix Suns coach over reportedly the Lakers job. Mm-hmm. Uh, last week, last Friday, I think it seemed like it was a done deal that Ty Lue was going to become the next Lakers coach. We ran a piece about that. John Gonzalez wrote a piece about this is a LeBron pick and this is for the next few years of LeBron in Los Angeles and it just shows like kind of LeBron's hold on the franchise in a moment of, of kind of institutional chaos. Uh, it was expected to be announced within a couple of days. It turns out that at least according to reports, there were disagreements about the length of Lou's contract, which the Lakers wanted to tie to the remaining years on LeBron's contract three, <laughs> instead of giving him a five-year deal, which he felt like he deserved. And also the Lakers wanting to weigh in and tell Ty Lue who he should have as his assistants, including, among others, Jason Kidd, who the Lakers have interviewed for the head coaching job and liked, but apparently have not liked enough to offer him the job. So, the Lakers do not have a coach. There are reports that Kurt Rambis is now becoming increasingly involved as a voice inside of the, the franchise. There are some, you know, entertainingly batshit Stephen A. Smith reports this week about <laughs> LeBron both recruiting Kawhi but also people telling Jeannie Buss, people close to Jeannie Buss telling her she should trade LeBron. Yeah. So, what the hell? I kind of agree with that last one. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think it's one thing if you decide as a franchise that Ty Lue isn't your guy, because I don't think he's that much of an inspired choice. I wrote, like, way before this that it seemed like they were very much reaching into their past to try to find some semblance of stability Mm -hmm. by just trying to recreate what worked because their attempts at reinventing the wheel did not work yes. very clearly. They they made a they made a conscious decision to try to pair defenders and passers with LeBron, and they found out very quickly that you need shooters, which is what every other LeBron team has done. Yes, but that wasn't the case here. They chose Lou. Everyone seemed to be in an agreement that Lou was going to be the Lakers. He coach. understands LeBron. He's a good tactician. He's won a ring. The issue was Palinka. Genie's handpicked GM mm-hmm. negotiated in poor faith, it seems like, or at the very least tried to assert leverage and that if he's he not, did not have. If he's not, he's already lost 
the PR war about what did happen. Yeah, which is bad for someone who's made his bones as this master negotiator. He's been getting beat up a lot in the press over the last couple of months because not only in the post-magic stuff with the the Magic Genie emails and the CC, <laughs> right. he's also gotten pretty much routinely in pieces about the Lakers now. There's like a little bit of like a nugget about like, and Palinka, whose rep is not that great among other agents or GMs in the league. There's some pushback to that, but that's that's what people say. I don't say that. That's what other people say. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now this Ty Lue thing, which is, it could be for a variety of reasons. You could even make the argument that like, why do we have to give Ty Lue a five-year deal? You know what I mean? Ty Lue's still getting paid by the Cavs. It's a perfectly reasonable position. Right. But when it's do or die time, like clearly you have to back off because as we've seen, their fallback options are the guys that you specifically said, these will be your assistants. And now maybe they were trying to do some some Phil Jackson type of thing where you have the head coach who's more of like the Mr. Miyagi sensei type. Like he's the, he's the manager of the sure. assistants and, you're, and you just built... It's like Nick Saban right. on Alabama. The right. assistants are the are But the Nick geniuses. Saban's assistants leave every season and they just stay winning titles. Now you can say this about recruiting, but like that's the thing is that it's okay to have volatility on your assistance bench and have like a new offensive coordinator of year if you just get the best recruiting class in the nation and churn out NFL linebackers. Right. Well, regardless of what happened, they're now left with Lane Kiffin. See, I took you into deep SEC offensive coordinator <laughs> talk and you got shook. This is turning into a Rosillo pot really quickly. <laughs> you like to lift? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just did some squats earlier today, man. Um, they're pretty much set, like settling on Lane Kiffin as their guy. If, if Frank Vogel is is now the next in line, if Jason Kidd is the guy next in line, yeah. you're already saying to your fan base, well, we got somebody who we clearly didn't think was capable of being a head coach to begin with. Right. And so they their the word on Kidd was that he was impressive in the interview and that they liked the his ability to develop young talent, which is fine. Are you guys going to really run it back with the kids? Do you think that time heals all wounds? And you think Ingram and Ball and Kuzma and Hart are like, yeah, water under the bridge. Let's just go, let's just try this again. I I just don't know. This team can't go into next season with the same roster. And look, you know, that Rondo said, Jimmy's going to play in New York or LA. There's reports that LeBron was trying to talk to Kawhi. I don't understand how that can even happen. That seems like tampering, but... Let's just for for fun say that happened. Right. Some combination of or 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 lineup where it's like LeBron and Jimmy Butler or LeBron and Kawhi Leonard. Although I gotta say, man, watching Kawhi Leonard on the Raptors this year doesn't seem like LeBron and Kawhi would really work in terms of a ball dominance standpoint. Yeah, it uh, it seems like Kawhi is set on being the guy, and if he won, if all the reports are true, he wants to go to the Clippers first and foremost. That would only seem to indicate yes. that being the backseat to, to anybody. So I think that the issue really is, is here is who's calling the shots and whether or not you can credibly make any kind of pitch to a free agent. And Kawhi, in Jimmy's case, this is, the, this is probably their last... Well, Kawhi will probably have another one. But Jimmy, this is the big one. So Jimmy's going to want to get a deal where even if he demands a trade in six months, we'll have like a four-year deal somewhere. Yeah. And Kawhi is not presumably not going to want to up, up stakes and leave again anytime soon. So you're trying to pitch them, yeah, this is what this team is going to be for the next few years. I mean, whether or not they want to accept that this is their roster going forward, all signs indicate that this is their roster going yeah, forward. Yeah, well, they probably won't get 
Griff to trade Davis for the same thing that got Dell Demps fired, right? Right. And I don't know if like that package is even in the top five of what the Pelicans well, can Can you think of like what would who would be the better packages? So you got the Celtics package of some kind of Tatum and stuff right. package, right? Uh the Clippers. Clippers. For sure. I do wonder like if some of the more established veterans start to get put on the table, maybe a CJ McCollum. Like, would you want CJ and stuff over Brandon Ingram, which we don't, who we don't know no, much about? No, it doesn't about? do anything for me. I mean, like, I love CJ McCollum, but if you're like the Pelicans, the Pelicans would immediately become like the funky NBA nerd favorite team. Right. But I don't think that that really moves the needle, especially Griffin's got to like be aware of like a age of the guy so that he's not dealing with a bunch of people who are like, I can't wait to get out of New Orleans when my contract's up. Mm-hmm. And B, is this something that will make people want to come to the stadium? You also have Ben Simmons, potentially. But I like I, I just to me that's just a non-starter. You think Davis and B could play together? I think there are complications there that are easier to sort out than Ben and Embiid. Because hmm. I mean, let's face it, Davis doesn't want to be a center to begin with, and he's a respectable three-point shooter in the same way that Embiid is. If you just the problem there is you would try to find a, a point guard and all your assets have been depleted by getting Tobias and Jimmy. Right. So there's that. I mean, what are the Nick, what's the Knicks pick going to end up at? Right. Right. If the Hawks get one, would they flip Zion for Davis? I don't know. I don't think so. Um, there are a few other teams out there that you can kind of put together. I don't know. I, the biggest question well, is... Well, this just, is also the thing is that Davis is not a free agent. So this is going to be another major issue for anybody who's thinking about trying to take that year-long rental, which only I think Boston would have the stomach for. And if not Davis... As you alluded to, it does seem like Rob's uh, reputation isn't sterling with most of the league. Sure. And so I do wonder if that provides complications in terms of trying to swing any sort of trade. So you're left with keeping your guys, hoping internal development works, and maybe signing a guy like Jimmy Butler. I've said this in the past. I think that team is competitive. Mm-hmm. It's probably better than we think if we're just assuming that some of these young guys stay on the trajectory they're on now and they get away from filling their minimum slots with. Rajon Rondo yeah. types and some of these, those are the moves that they really have to key in on. And that's what I'm most worried about because as we've seen in these Lou discussions, those little things on the fringes, they don't seem like they're particularly like skilled at executing. No, I know. And I mean, that's also like, if you're winning, those are, those signings are for the lols. Everybody loves them. But as soon as you start losing, that's where everybody's like, I can't believe you, you guys did all these things and it was just like, you should have been getting like the Rodney Magruders, the, you know, the Patrick Beverly's, like the guys who could actually play. Listen, Amon Shumpert is playing like 17 minutes. Austin Rivers. In game five against the Warriors. Those are the type of guys that you need in order to fill out a roster. Daniel House, our guy, the patron saint of the group chat podcast. I love that you keep bringing him up, even though that is your like Mount Kilimanjaro to climb. (laughs) Well, 5250 Blazers. I like the challenge. I think we're going to wrap it up there. Okay. What do you think, Bobby? Bobby, who do you think wins the the Blazers or the or the uh, Nuggets? I trust CJ McCollum. This He's is good cool. content. He's saved it for the playoffs. I'm gonna go Blazers. Dill obviously says Blazers. Bobby says Blazers. You think this is Game Six? This is all Nugs, baby. I believe in the Jokic. Do you want to do an the Nuggets have one take <laughs> for posterity? I just think that Paul Millsap's the type of guy that you really can't game plan against. I mean, I know he's older. He doesn't give you what he used to give you on offense, uh-huh. but he's the glue guy for this team. And he's the reason uh-huh. that the Nuggets won this game. I think that you just, you got to expect the backcourt of CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, one or both of them to go off 
like they did last night, and you can never be sure who. Unless they don't. Unless they, they don't. They, keep, they kept saying that they needed to break these guys apart, but when you see what they did in the court tonight, you really have to believe in this team going forward. Or not. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Ringer NBA show. We will be constantly hitting you. I think we're going to try and do one on Friday night after game six of Warriors Rockets. Talent TBD. You can expect a heat check on Sunday as well as a Bill Simmons show with Ryan Rosillo on Sunday night, I believe. And no games Monday, but we'll have a pretty consistent schedule of NBA pods throughout next week. Also, if I can have your attention, if you've possibly stayed with us this long through our hypothetical discussion of of Nuggets and Blazers, let me implore you, please watch Talk the Thrones on Sunday uh, at 6 p.m. It's after this the 6 p.m., 9 p.m. East Coast, West Coast uh, showing of Game of Thrones. Me, Mallory, and Jason will go live on Twitter. So if you have any questions about Game of Thrones that you want to ask, it's hashtag Talk to Thrones because there's nothing else going on on Sunday that's of any distraction to me. Which dragon do you think Ben Simmons is? Uh, the dead one. <laughs> Bye, guys. Basketball is very good. Basketball is very good.